Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Across the nation, the day after Joe Biden's speech and the weird Nancy Pelosi stand-up during the burn pits. I, I, I don't, I don't know what was going on there. Uh, anybody? Anyway, welcome. I hope you're having a good day. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Let Let's begin here. Unless you're a moderate Democrat. That speech was not for you and and Vladimir Putin as well. We should be fair here. I was told by people familiar with the president and the White House's thinking on the speech. One of the things they wanted to do out of the gate was have that Ukraine move moment first. Because there's increasing view within uh, military and intelligence circles that Vladimir Putin is very isolated uh, in Russia right now. He's not regularly in the Kremlin. He's going through a number of people who are his yes men, his sycophants. They won't give him the whole truth. But if he dares ask for a transcript of or listens to the speech at the beginning, what did uh, what did Joe Biden say? He will get the unvarnished view from the United States uh, that we view the Kremlin as isolated and Vladimir Putin as the bad guy here because Putin seems to think that People were going to accept his embrace uh, and his statement that the the Ukrainians were Nazis and move into Ukraine. He seemed to have misread the sentiment in the air there. And so by speaking directly to him and to the American people explaining the situation, Biden could give and convey to the Kremlin an accurate sentiment of how he and the United States sees the situation. Whether that's true or not, and that is, by the way, what people uh, familiar with the White House's thinking are saying, I don't know that it'll matter to Putin. But beyond that, here's what you really genuinely truly need to know about this speech. It wasn't for you. It was not for you. Unless you're a moderate voter, who leans Democrat, this was not a speech for you. It, it truly wasn't a speech for you. In fact, I, I, I need to just out of the gate say this so that you get my entire frame here. Because, yeah, I, I'm a partisan. Don't support the guy. But I, I can step back and, and try to give you a, just a general take on the State of the Union here that I don't think it was a good speech, not because he's a partisan, but because Joe Biden's just not an orator. And that, that I, I don't want to attack him on that. Joe Biden does have a speech impediment, or he did as a kid. And I, I will be just open, transparent, and honest with you. When I was a kid, and you can sometimes hear it come out on radio now, I stuttered. And part of it was my brain moved faster than my mouth. And to some degree, it still does. So I'm very sympathetic and don't like to mock Biden that much on the words he trips over. Although I got to tell you, uh, talking about the Iranians when he meant the Ukrainians, that made me laugh. <laughs> it did. It did. Putin will never shake the break the will of the Iranians. Uh, you mean the Ukrainians. Sorry. I mean, even people in, in, in Congress, you could hear their reaction when he said it. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I mean, he's 80 years old. He's got, he's, 
had a lifelong stuttering problem. I'm look, I'm sympathetic to that. Uh, and, and so let's get beyond the, the, the stepping on statements and things like that. The problem here is the State of the Union was never intended to be a speech to Congress. It was always supposed to be a written letter. That's how every president did it until Woodrow Wilson decided he wanted to go make a big thing of it as a as a political ploy and speak to Congress. And thereafter, it became the tradition. And for the longest time, the State of the Union was a rah-rah feel-good speech that presidents deployed. Ronald Reagan very famously began the habit of bringing in heroes that the country should recognize. The very first guy uh, had been in an Air Florida. There used to be an airline called Air Florida back in the early 80s. Uh, There was a crash right before the State of the Union into the Potomac River. The wings iced, the plane crashed into the water, and the man uh, famously swam in and rescued people out of the the plane, and Ronald Reagan brought him to the State of the Union. It then became a tradition for presidents thereafter to degrade that habit of bringing in would-be heroes and just putting in a bunch of people like last night was the Intel CEO and others and try to build your case for your policies based on those people to personalize them. Reagan, well, to a degree, George H.W. Bush kind of still did good State of the Union speeches, but even he kind of, it wore off over time. And now it's just become a a laundry list of, here's the policy I want. Now I want this policy and this policy and this policy and this policy. It's very partisan speech designed to build well. They just don't work anymore. They don't work. And Joe Biden is not the guy to make them anymore. He's neither Cicero nor Churchill nor King nor Kennedy. He's Joe Biden from Scranton. So I do have that issue with the the State of the Union in general. I don't like it. The other thing I feel compelled to note for all of you in the news business listening right now in newsrooms, radio and television stations across America, the State of the Union is a garbage event that we spend way too much time on. They should put it on a Thursday so we only have to talk about it on a Friday before we can move on with stuff. Because by this weekend, not a single person is going to remember what Joe Biden said in the State of the Union address. No one ever does. They're not memorable speeches anymore because they're policy laundry lists. That's just a statement of fact, whether you like it or not. Now, as for the framing, this was a speech designed for moderate voters who have shown in the polling they're drifting to the GOP. How do I know? Well, when's the last time you heard Joe Biden talk about securing the border? If we are to advance liberty and justice, we need to secure our border and fix the immigration system. Really? You're talking about that in a speech? Why? Because in every major poll that's come out on issues, one of the top issues for moderate and independent voters is the immigration system and securing the border. Joe Biden has no interest in securing the border. He's never had an interest in securing the border. He's never talked about securing the border. He's laughed at Republicans for wanting to build a wall on the border. But it's suddenly an issue in the polling. Therefore, Joe Biden has to talk about it in this. Why? Because it's an issue. And he wants to try to persuade those moderate voters that he hears them, he understands them, and he's on their side. The other big issue that he talked about, funding police. Let's not abandon our streets or choose between safety and equal justice. Let's come together and protect our communities, restore trust, and hold law enforcement accountable. That's why the Justice Department has required 
body cameras, banned choke calls, and restricted no-knocks warrants for its officers. That's why the American Rescue Plan that you all provided $350 billion that cities, states, and counties can use to hire more police, invest in more proven strategies. Community violence interruption, trusted messengers breaking the cycle of violence and trauma, and giving young people some hope. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. That, that's, that's poll tested. You know it's a big issue in the polling. You know voters, it comes up time and time again. They think the Democrats support defunding the police. Again, this was a State of the Union speech for moderate Democrats. If you're not a moderate Democrat, you probably didn't like it. According to CBS News, overwhelmingly people love the speech if they watched it. But of course, if you're a Democrat who likes Joe Biden, you're more likely to watch the speech. People who are not into politics or don't like Joe Biden, they weren't going to watch the speech last night. So the people who watched it, of course, they were predisposed to like it. The question is, did moderate Democrats like it? And there really doesn't seem to be a big uh, panel of moderate Democrats who wanted to tune in last night. They're already disaffected. It's also notable, and you know this was a speech guided by the polling, the one thing he did not talk about. In fact, it's something Joe Biden has repeatedly called an extraordinary success. And yet he failed to talk about it. If you're trying to highlight why you are a good and competent president, someone that, that the public should like and, and take your side and your party side, why do you not talk about that signature event of your administration that you have repeatedly, in your own words, called an extraordinary success? That would be the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He never talked about it last night. He called it an extraordinary success. Why don't you talk about it if it's an extraordinary success? Because the polling shows it wasn't. Again, this was a speech designed to reach moderate voters and who he's got to try to bring home. Moderate voters tend to lean Democrat when they vote. So I did an after show last night and a guy called in. He's getting his reaction. And by the way, I'm happy, very happy to take your reaction as well. 877-973-7425. So I, 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 I review the speech. And guy calls in, says he disagreed with me. He liked the speech and he was a moderate. I said, okay, you're moderate. Uh, do you do you lean Democrat or you lean Republican? Well, he, he, he went on a speech, but the gist of it, yes, he, he leans Democrat. And that's what I've been trying to express to you guys, that moderates and independents are two separate categories of people. Moderates are Democrats who don't identify as Democrat. Independents are Republicans who don't identify as Republicans. Now, there happen to be more independents in the country than moderates. Overall, there are fewer Republicans than Democrats. But when you add in the independents, the independents tend to bring the Republicans' numbers up because they're on a candidate-by-candidate basis, but they tend to like Republicans. The moderates are breakaway Democrats who don't like the wokes, basically. And Joe Biden's got to persuade them. That was the whole business of the speech. And now I, I got to tell you, as a, as a just matter of his speech, I really, really, it fell flat on me that the President of the United States started with a unifying, captivating moment talking about Ukraine. He was forceful. He was on point. 
He had lots of great lines about taking the fight to the Russians without actually fighting them, being on the side of the Ukrainians, standing up for NATO and the world order and the alliance. It was a great moment. He got standing ovations from both sides. And with that, with terrible transitioning, he immediately pivoted into canceling the the Trump tax cuts and how they were just tax cuts for the top 1%. It was a very, first of all, the guy was very bad with the transitions. You know, when I transition into like doing radio ads and stuff, I, I tend to be on point. Joe Biden was terrible. We're going to stand up to Vladimir Putin and we are going to cancel the Donald Trump tax cuts, which were tax cuts for the rich. Uh, it, it didn't work and immediately gets booze. It was a, the speech was a parabola. It started very high. It, it dipped down to, to just crash raw partisanship and then tried to end on a high note, telling him to go get him. Nobody knows who he's talking about. Go get him. NBC actually did a full panel discussion last night on what did it mean when he ended his speech. Go get him. Go get who? We don't know. It was very weird. The speech just doesn't work as a speech. Don't hold against him his flubs. But this isn't a speech that's going to persuade people. I know he thinks it is. It's the best he can do to talk about securing the border and funding the police and ignoring Afghanistan means they use the polling to shape the speech. But there's a problem. It's a very simple problem as to why the speech will not last long in people's heads. Today, when you go fill up your car with gas, you will see the price of gas. Oil is now over $110 a barrel. And you will forget all about Joe Biden's speech. And there will be a, I did that sticker on the pump of Joe Biden smiling, and you will go back to blaming him for high gas prices, and then you will drive your filled-up car to the grocery store, and you will see empty store shelves, and you will pay way more for groceries than you did two months ago, and you will blame Joe Biden for that. One speech on one night that wasn't a very good speech cannot undo the damage of high gas prices, inflation, and empty store shelves. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. I'm very happy to take your phone calls. 877-973-7425, should you wish to be a part of the program. Um, I, I got to play you this, this audio clip, but I got to say something first. I'm old school. I acknowledge it. I, I think good manners and decorum matter. And so I'm not a fan of people disrupting states of the union. Not really a fan of Joe Wilson when he yelled out, you lie, but it started the trend. We have to recognize that. And the Democrats did it with gusto when Donald Trump was president. Lauren Boebert, last night during the speech, while the president was talking about uh, wounded and dead service members, yelled out about the 13 dead in Afghanistan. I'm not a fan of the discor the uh, lack of decorum and the disruption, but I have to note, in fairness, had Lauren Boebert not done that, not only would there have been no mention of those 13, there would have been no mention of Afghanistan, and the American media would have given Joe Biden a pass on the whole thing. But for Lauren Boebert standing up and yelling that the emperor has no clothes, the media would have moved on, and now they're forced to deal with the fact that he completely ignored those service members. This is Jen Psaki on MSNBC. So look, a speech like the State of the Union, it's hugely important. It doesn't touch on, it doesn't have the time to touch on everything that is a priority. 
Uh, the president did not have time to touch on everything that's a priority. Therefore, he did not mention 13 service members. He spoke for 70 minutes. The speech lasted an hour, 10 minutes. And he could not offer up just one sentence in that entire speech for the last 13 dead soldiers in Afghanistan. He wouldn't even reference Afghanistan at all, which he called an extraordinary success in the Lester Holt interview just a few weeks ago. That's really, really damning. And so while I'm a fan of decorum, I think Lauren Boebert did us all a favor last night by doing what she did. I do think she did because it required Joe Biden to have to answer for something he would have preferred not to answer for. It required him to do that, and it forced the media to grapple with it, even when they're attacking Lauren Boebert today. And much of the media is overwhelmingly critical of her. They can't avoid the fact of what she said and why she said it. And so I got to tip my hat to her for doing it. I, I don't like it. I don't think it should be a habit, but I got to tip my hat to her because she has certainly changed the media dynamic in having to deal with the situation. And again, Joe Biden called Afghanistan an extraordinary success. And yet it's such an extraordinary success that at a time he's trying to reset and reboot, he did not want to talk about it in a speech last night. Not even mentioning those 13 soldiers in one sentence in a speech that went on for an hour, 10 minutes. I That that right there told me this speech was written by the pollsters. It, it absolutely was written by pollsters who were trying very hard to do damage control for Biden. Now, when we come back, actually, I want to take your phone calls on this, 877-973-7425. But also, I actually want to dive into what this speech means for the rest of the Biden presidency, particularly in the run-up to the midterms. And I will tell you, I don't think it's good, in large part because in the nutshell, one of the things that Joe Biden did last night was double down on his agenda, which is an agenda that is not popular, and cannot pass Congress, so it cannot get done. So how on earth does he try to shape the midterms when he didn't do a reset, he did a double down? The double down's not going to work. Howdy, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I would like to take your thoughts on the State of the Union before delving into, well, what I think is going to happen. You can probably guess what I think is going to happen, but that's all right. We'll discuss it first. Paul, you're going to be up first today. Welcome. Well, the way the State of the Union is what's going to happen. Um, I, I smell two things coming, Eric. I smell the next million and a half migrant slash refugees coming to this country. And worse than that, I smell the uh, United States is going to step up and rebuild Ukraine. And there's another trillion and a half dollars we're going to waste. Not that rebuilding Ukraine is a waste, but Putin's got to pay for that, man, not us. How do we make sure that the Congress doesn't try to spend that money? That's got to come from Russia. I mean, we can spend it, we can build it, but dang it, man. Why are we going to spend that kind of money? Because you know it's coming. 
the the Russians probably are going to need to cough up, maybe in terms of oil and gas. Uh, they're going to have to pay for something if if they lose. I mean, we're all fixated on on a lot of the pro Ukraine stuff out there, but uh, there are signs the Russians are digging in, and this could go on for a while, and they could win. Uh, then they absolutely will have to pay for it. But you know, on the upside, um, if there is an upside in terrible tragedy. You know, if if American businesses get the rebuilding contracts and the European businesses as well, it winds up being somewhat of an economic boom. You know, there is this uh, theory, and I think it's a discredited theory, but a lot of uh, liberal economists believe it, that war and the, the damage and destruction from war is actually good for the economy because it allows people to start rebuilding and rebuilding. Uh, they make a lot of money. Uh, my view is that had you not blown up those buildings, that money would have gone somewhere else. And now we're just rebuilding. We're not building new things. But uh, look, uh, rebuilding efforts uh, and contracts bring money to whichever side does the rebuilding. The Russians, you're right, need to foot some of the bill. Uh, as far as the as far as the refugees, I, I, I kind of am in the camp that uh, we need to do what we can to help these people who are displaced from their homes. It looks like they'll mostly be in Europe. They won't be in this country. Poland has taken in uh, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian immigrants. Uh, you know, someone from NBC News is under fire for pointing out the polls are open to the Ukrainian immigrants because they're just like them. They're white and Christian. They're not like the, the Syrians. Uh, and she's under fire for saying that. But it's the God's honest truth. Yeah, that that's just the nature of the immigration situation in Europe. Uh, Europeans are are far more likely to want to take in their own than take in what they view as foreigners. She was just telling the truth, but they're trying to vilify her for pointing out that painful truth. Steve, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, hey, Steve. Yep. What's going on? How you doing? Good. Uh, just just wanted to say um, I listened to President Biden's speech last night, uh, and. Uh, my my thoughts on it were that uh, I, I'm trying to connect all the dots, but I just felt like that a lot of things that he talked about he he created, uh-huh. and now he's got to go back and uh, and try to fix all these things that are that basically they you know on poor decisions that uh, he and his administration have made. We're in this situation that we're in, uh, and exactly like you said, I, I wrote by the gas pumps today the gas has gone up a little bit more here in georgia and um you know i mean every day eric i wake up and i thank god at least once a day that i was born here in this country and i humbly say that um but because of our freedoms and and who we are and uh, but that was just uh you know my take on the speech that a lot of this stuff was just created i i, I just think that things would could have been a whole lot different and uh i really feel for the ukrainian people and uh what's going on there and yeah uh, and then we're sitting we're sitting on the sidelines and uh somewhat somewhat sitting on the sidelines here and uh i'm not sure it went real well to to offer the the uh leader of ukraine to, a free ride out of there and then when he's asking for ammunition well, I, I, I will say we're we're going to be sending some Stinger missiles their way and, and some some other weapons, which is good. That's what he wants. Um, whether it'll do him good now, I don't know. I'm a little bit more and more concerned with the situation in Ukraine as things go. But, you know, you're right on the point that Biden created a lot of the messes he was talking about last night, particularly bragging about his COVID relief package, which caused all the inflation. 
James, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Yeah, um, I was just going to ask you about that. It seems to me in that speech last night that from what little I know about economics, the more you have of something out there, the less it's worth. And yet he sounded like he wanted to spend, keep spending tons and tons of dollars that we don't have. Right. Yeah, I I mean, what, what do you think about that? It's it was a laundry list of stuff. You know, this is the perfect segue, James. Thanks for that. Uh, let, let me get into this. The problem with Joe Biden's speech last night is that he did not reset. Joe Biden had the opportunity to reset and some news headlines say, oh, he did a reset for the midterms, but he didn't. Listen to what Joe Biden talked about, the things he spent the most time on. Those were the things that he's already tried that are not popular that cannot pass. He mentioned Build Back Better. Build Back Better is dead. Joe Manchin killed Build Back Better. Build Back Better is not coming. The Green New Deal is dead. It is not happening. He mentioned massive government spending. He defended massive government spending and somehow wanted to argue that more massive government spending would help inflation. That's simply not the case. He talked about trying to bring costs down instead of wages down and to bring costs down through new government programs that will cause inflation. This is the fundamental problem for Joe Biden. In his speech, Joe Biden fixated on those things that are already dead in Congress Instead of a reset, it was an attempted resurrection of bad deals that can't pass. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the For the People Act, the Equality Act, Build Back Better, on and on it went. A series of pieces of legislation dead in the United States Senate on a bipartisan basis. Joe Biden has nothing new to offer. That's the problem. Because as much as this speech is designed to try to build momentum for the Democrats in November, you can't build momentum when, you're, when your whole agenda is already dead. There will be no resurrection of these issues with Joe Manchin's help. Joe Manchin has nothing to do with it. In fact, Joe Manchin yesterday called for a new energy initiative to drill more oil and gas. Joe Manchin wants domestic energy fossil fuel energy production increased, not decreased. Last night, Joe Biden says he wants it decreased and wants more reliance on solar and wind. This is a fundamental problem for the Democrats and one they did not seem to be able to thread the needle on last night. When you go fill up with gas today, your gas prices are going to be the highest they've ever been because oil is now over $110 a barrel because of the Ukraine crisis and our inability to be fossil fuel independent because of cuts the Biden administration made in our energy production. And Americans intuitively understand that. When you go to the grocery store today, you're going to find empty store shelves because we're still recovering from the pandemic and the supply chain crisis and ports, though not nearly as backed up as they were, are still backed up and Pete Buttigieg has done nothing to solve the problem. And when you ultimately get to the cash register at the grocery store, the prices are going to be higher than they were last year because of inflation. When you go to your local restaurant, your service is going to be not what it was because they're going to be short-staffed and your prices are going to be higher because they've had to pay more to try to even get people to come back to work. There's a labor shortage, there's a labor crisis, and there are small businesses closing. When you take your mask off and you get out of the house and you go out to eat at your favorite restaurant, it may be out of business because of the pandemic. 
Biden can't navigate his way out of reality. And he tried last night in that speech. He said he wants to secure the border, something he has never cared about in his entire life. He said he wanted to fund the police. Well, you've got a lot of Democrats out there still trying to defund them. Their practice deviates from their rhetoric. Their actions deviate from their words. This is ultimately the Democrats' problem. Joe Biden is president of the United States. Joe Biden has Ron Klain as his chief of staff. Ron Klain reads Jennifer Rubin in the Washington Post who tells him everything is hunky-dory and he sees no reason to change. So Joe Biden sees no reason to change course. Moderate Democrats after the speech last night were furious because they all felt like Joe Biden was doubling down on the progressive stuff that got them in the situation they're already in. I suspect we're probably going to see a few more Democrats retire from Congress soon because they gave Joe Biden a chance to reset last night and he's not doing it. He's doubling down on the bad fortunes of the Democratic Party and the things that they've tried that they've already failed. I mean, just think of the things he name-checked last night, the Build Back Better Plan, the Equality Act, the For the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. All of them are dead in the United States Congress, and they have no chance of being resurrected. Joe Manchin has already said Build Back Better is dead. And Joe Manchin doesn't want to do anything new unless he gets more drilling for oil and natural gas. And the Democrats aren't going to give him that, so it's dead. Joe Biden did his entire speech last night based on dead initiatives, and he has shown no will to be able to barnstorm across states to get those things back in action. He can't campaign in West Virginia. Joe Biden is literally the second most unpopular candidate for any office in West Virginia right now. The most unpopular is named Kamala Harris. When you've got the number one and number two most unpopular politicians in America, and they're the leaders of your party, having them barnstorm across the country tends to do you more harm than good. Even in Texas, Beto O'Rourke won the Democratic nomination for governor last night, and he's already said he does not want Joe Biden or Kamala Harris on the campaign trail with him. The State of the Union is a speech on which everyone places a lot of weight. And increasingly, it is a speech that has gone and forgotten within two or three days. And we move on back to reality, where reality is not favorable for the Democrats. Now back to the phones we go. Let's see here. I'm going to go to Alan. You're going to be up next. Welcome. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks for uh, for having me on. As you mentioned, though, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, <clears throat> but about Europe and, and their chaos and what we're dealing with with um, with with uh, Ukraine and NATO. You know, the idealism is what is what got us in trouble. You know, they they did business with Putin, but they didn't prepare and they didn't transition from from nuclear. They just shut down nuclear. They took his oil. They took his gas but they didn't prepare. And in this country, it's the same difference. You got to transition. We, you know, getting off fossil fuels is nice, but if you don't prepare properly and take the proper steps and you get idealistic, it blows up in your face. It's just a matter of time. Right. 
Yeah, you know, as a matter of fact, Alan, uh, the Germans have said they're going to reconsider abandoning nuclear energy. But do you know in this country, uh, the Federal Energy, uh, what is it, the Federal Energy Resource Commission, whatever, FERC, they've just killed the extension of a nuclear power plant in Florida, citing global warming as the reason. I wish I was making that up. They want to kill a nuclear power plant in Florida. You know what? The power company is going to have to go back to fossil fuels because of it. Yeah. Genius. Absolute genius. They're also announcing that they're going to look at climate change for all new pipelines built in America. That includes natural gas pipelines, which means they're probably going to kill them. This administration is living in a fantasy land when it comes to our energy national security. I didn't know that was going to be there, but I was going to promote this myself. Listen, uh, I do a recipe every week, uh, and if you want to get on the recipe list, if you text the word recipe, singular, recipe, to 33777, I will send you back a link. You click that link, and you can subscribe and see the existing recipes. There's no charge for it. Now, if you want to pay the $30 subscription, you can help me buy the pizza oven that I wanted. <laughs> uh, y'all, so there's this company called Gosney, and they make these pizza ovens, and they've got one now. You can do two pizzas at a time, wood or gas. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of equipment, but it's like $2,000. I don't have that money. I really want it, but I don't have that sort of money to, to buy one of those. Nonetheless, you can get the recipe list. Now, here's the recipe that's coming out today. They come out on Wednesdays. I've sent it a long time ago. Got a lot of requests to send it again, so I'm sending it again. Got a lot of new listeners. You know, I'm from South Louisiana. It is now Lent. Yesterday was Mardi Gras. And I'm sending out my mom's red beans and rice recipe. Now, you need to know one thing. Every single family in Louisiana has a different red beans and rice recipe. Red beans and rice was traditionally done on Monday because uh, you could put stuff on Sunday night, slow soak the beans, get it on with a ham on Sunday on Monday morning after a busy day back at work, uh, getting into the fields, what have you, after taking Sunday off, and you'd have a delicious, savory, high-protein meal. And every single family in Louisiana has their own recipe for it. My mom's recipe, it's what I grew up eating, and I love it more than most. It's a little bit different from a lot of the, the red beans and rice recipes out there because it only takes about 30 minutes to make. And it's a completely vegetarian meal unless you um, unless you want to really use bacon drippings and sausage, which I totally recommend, but you don't have to. Uh, and it's just, it's a good, delicious meal. We eat it just like I, my family did on by tradition. Every Monday when I was growing up, we had red beans and rice, and we do in our house too. It's a great recipe. It's very, very easy to make. You do not have to be intimidated by this. It's not like gumbo or jambalaya. It is a very simple Cajun recipe, red beans and rice. It takes 30 minutes. That's it. It is delicious. You can text the word recipe to 33777. Uh, the recipe comes out. It's going to be emailed to everybody who's subscribed. It'll be emailed out at 1.30 today. The rest of you can just click through after 1.30 uh, p.m. Uh, March 2nd, if you're listening in delay or on the podcast, and you'll be able to see the red beans and rice recipe. You're going to want it. It really is one of my favorites. Serve it with some cornbread or in my house growing up, we did French uh, garlic bread. My wife loves cornbread made obviously with bacon drippings and a cast iron skillet. But man, you do some cornbread and red beans and rice and you are set. Okay, now. Let's go. Uh, real quick, uh, Jennifer, I got about a minute, 30 seconds. I wanted to get to you. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. Um, 
I was calling about the constitutional carry law that Kemp is uh, trying to pass. It looks like it's very likely to pass. Uh, my husband and I actually had a conversation about that this morning, and his concern is the fact that if everybody can walk around with the guns without permits, it, how easy, how much easier would it be for a criminal to be able to get their hand on a gun uh, without there being, I guess, I guess, uh, how easy would it for them to be able to get the guns in their hands lawfully? Like, uh, well, I, I'll just tell you this, uh, 21 of the 50 states already have it. Um, so yep. 21 states have constitutional carry, uh, Tennessee, for example, has constitutional carry, uh, 21 states do, um, Texas has open constitutional carry. You can, uh, show everyone off your, your firearm and they haven't had those problems. The reality versus the hypothetical don't align. Um, surely a criminal, I guess they could, they could bum rush you and try to get your gun and, and run away with it, I guess. Uh, but the reality is 21 states already have constitutional carry and they're actually not any of the states that have high firearm incidents that they don't have, uh, a disproportionate rate of murders or mass shootings or anything like that. Well, uh, in fact, there's some of the yeah, safer that's states. What we were, so that's I, what we Jennifer, were talking about. I, I, look, I, I gotta, I gotta let you go there because I've only got about fifteen seconds. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't get the second point there. But uh, constitutional carry, for those of you who don't know, in Georgia passed the state senate, and it's now in the state house. It would be the twenty second state to allow people to not have to get a concealed carry permit to carry firearms. It's twenty twenty two. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.